right. So, we are in a series right now. We're in a series called Miracles. And this was based off of our week of prayer and fasting, where globally, with all of our Every Nation brothers and sisters around the world, we all fast together during the same week at the beginning of the year. And we go through the same content and booklets. And what's super handy is that out of that, we preach a sermon series all together, too. So we've been working through the different uh, miracles that are in the Gospel of John. And uh, I've really been enjoying this. And so what I want to do is I want, we're going to be talking about the miracle of uh, walking on water today, where Jesus walks on the water. And so I want to read through that together. And then, uh, and then I'm going to pray, and then, we'll, and then we'll jump in. So this is in, this is in Matthew 14. It's listed in John, but I'm going to read out the Matthew one because it's a little bit longer. It has a few more details in it. But let's read this out together. This is Matthew 14, starting in... Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Lord, thank you for your words and for this story, this miraculous story. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would minister something new to us, something fresh, something about you to each heart here. Thank you for your miracle working power. Thank you that you're different and other than us, so much other. <laughs> And, uh, and yet still so near. So Father, would your nearness just be here in this room as we uh, focus on you and as we learn about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we start, there's kind of one question I wanted to ask us, and it's just this. What is a miracle? What, what is it? I, uh, I've been, over the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been, we've been in this series, and what I've been thinking about is that miracles feel extreme to us, but I'm, I'm kind of getting the hunch that they're sort of normal in the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's, it's almost as though a miracle is when the most normal thing about heaven touches earth, and we get a little glimpse of it, and then we call it a miracle from our perspective. But maybe from Jesus' perspective or heaven's perspective, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it's supposed to be. And uh, so two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus turning water into wine, and we learned about how, you know, we no, longer, we no longer need wine. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is kind of going, yeah, there's this new thing going on. And it'd be very normal for you to be filled with my presence. That's actually what you were designed for. You, know, you don't need to be filled with wine anymore for gladness or to take your sorrows away. You can be filled with the Spirit. That's kind of how it's supposed to be. Or... Uh, in the feeding of the 5,000 from last week, Jesus is going, yeah, I can multiply stuff. Like, my resources are infinite. It's kind of normal. <laughs> and we go, oh my goodness, there's baskets left over. He's going, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it probably doesn't feel like a miracle to him. And so I 
I've been kind of getting this impression that when we see miracles in the Bible, it's just kind of this new, we get a window into something. And I think it's Jesus revealing himself. Miracles are, are Jesus revealing his identity, which is a really neat thing. And, it, and we get to catch a new glimpse of something about him as we see a miracle take place, which is neat. So I kind of get how, I kind of get how the wine and Holy Spirit thing is helpful to us. It's like, oh, Holy Spirit, very helpful. Got it. I see what you're doing there. Uh, food, resources, provision. I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing there. You're showing us how, you're showing us, you're showing us how you're our provider. Okay, got it. But what is Jesus walking on water revealing about himself that's practical and helpful to us? What, what about it is helpful? I don't know about you, but the walking on water story always seemed really random to me. It just seemed like God's like, look what I can do. And it's kind of random. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it felt like kind of like a magic trick. Because it doesn't have the, the nice correlations like the wine and the Holy Spirit and the multiplying food. It's just he's walking on water. So what? What are you revealing about yourself in that act? Does that make sense? That's what we're going to look at today. What are you revealing about yourself by doing that? It's for a reason. So in order to figure that out, we get to, we get to dive deep into like Genesis 1. We get to go all the way back to the beginning. And so you can put Genesis 1, 1 up there. Listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay. So let's do a little bit of work here before we draw some correlations. First, formless and empty. There's a lot of different translations. Your Bible probably has a lot of different... There's not, there's not a great translation for that. There's like, uh, there's a bunch of different English words we try to use. But the Hebrew one, it's, it's rhymes. It's tohu vavohu. That's what they're saying. The earth was tohu vavohu. And it means unordered, uninhabited. And so to a biblical author, here's what pre-creation is, okay? So for us in kind of this Western scientific sort of mind, when we think pre-creation, we, we think like, you know, pre-matter, like pre-stuff, that's, that's not what a Hebrew mind's thinking. A Hebrew mind is thinking, oh, pre-creation, oh, pre-purpose. Does that make sense? Oh, pre-form and purpose, pre-intention, not pre-stuff, pre-reasons, pre-why. Okay, are you getting it? Like, there's a, that's the way that they're thinking. So tohu favohu is before there was a form and a reason for all of it. So when God's creating, he's creating purpose and order and alignment and relationships. That's, that's what creation really is in its essence. And the metaphor used for not that, the metaphor used for tohu vavohu, formless, void, dark, chaotic, is an ocean. So you've got a darkness over the surface of the deep. It's this, ocean is the metaphor that's used, is water, chaotic waters. And the, God's spirit is hovering over those waters. Uh, the, the English uses the word hovering. Another good translation of hovering is fluttering. But the biblical the translators didn't, didn't use fluttering, they used hovering. But fluttering kind of has this, I don't know, it's like a bird. It has this, 
you get this, this bird-like image fluttering, hovering, brooding over the potential of the chaos. It's, this, it's ancient Hebrew poetry, and it's very deep and rich. You get this idea of, of God like hovering over the surface uh, with so much potential to create, just brooding over it, fluttering over it, being near it, ready to create something out of it all. It's neat. So, uh, Throughout Genesis 1, which we're not going to read, God's bringing tohu vavohu and making it into what he calls good, good things, right? As he adds purpose and form and intention and, and, and creates basically his own house for us to dwell with him, it becomes good. And the Hebrew word for that is tov. And so it goes from uh, tohu vavohu to tov. And I like to think about that as like this one word sounds really chaotic and bumpy and tov is just peaceful. And that's the direction in Genesis 1 from chaos to orderedness and purpose with purpose. So uh, that's Genesis 1, a little bit of backdrop for us. Another little Genesis backdrop is with Noah in Genesis 8. You can put that up there. Listen to this with Noah. Noah waited another seven days and again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So there's, here we have another image of a bird flooding over the waters, informing Noah that the chaos has subdued, the waters have subdued, and order is now rising up again out of that. Very interesting. What's fun, in John's account of the walking on water story, when Jesus gets into the boat, John says they were immediately at the land, which is kind of an interesting little tidbit. But it's, it's, you see what John and Matthew are doing here. They, have their, their, they know Genesis, and they're, they're, walk, they're seeing Jesus on the water, and they're going, hmm, this is reminding me of some stuff. One more, Mark, Mark 1.10. Jesus is on the scene now. Listen to this. This is Jesus' baptism. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. I guarantee you, all the people standing around that have been like, doves, Noah, like what's going on? Spirit fluttering, what is happening? There's some connections being made. So here's what's, here's what's going on in that image, Jesus' baptism, is the spirit is now saying, I'm going to make things good now through Jesus. I'm going to indwell Jesus, and through Jesus, tohu vavohu is going to become tov throughout his ministry. That's what the Spirit's going to use Jesus to do. Really deep imagery here going on. So we've got this miracle of Jesus walking on water. Seems random. What if Jesus walking on water is a dramatic manifestation of his identity as the one who is the author of purpose and order and tov and goodness, it's a deep image of Jesus fluttering over the waters. So, question is, purpose and order to what? Jesus is the world's already created, you know? It's already all here. Uh, what is he creating? What is he, what is he taking from chaos to goodness? Well, here's the thing, is humanity has done a lot of what's called decreation. Uh, we've decreated a lot of what he created. And uh, you can, uh, you can, we can see that we're off. Like, how do, we, how, we, how do we know we've been decreated? Is that 
what God created was perfect and everything was rightly related. And all of its purpose and all of its forms perfectly worked together. All the purposes served each other in the right way and everything was built in the right way to then serve the purpose for the other. Like it was a perfect design in a very broad ecosystem. And decreation is when those forms and relationships stop serving each other. It's where they stop being about one another and they stop working together in a system that's unified and unto something. So God's forms create perfect relationship and Adam and Eve went, I think we're going to create our own forms and purposes for some stuff. And that didn't go so well. So now Jesus' ministry is to reconcile us to himself, to each other, and to the world around us by giving us our true identity, which would be like our form, who we're made to be, and our purpose, what we're made to do. So Jesus is coming along going, here's what you are, and here's what you're for. And as you learn who you are and what you're for, that's going to bring tove back into the world. It's going to bring unity and alignment and, 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 and uh, goodness. And this makes sense, right? Because think about all the different kinds of relationships Jesus talks about in his ministry. He's constantly talking about how to reconcile stuff and how things are supposed to work together and all these different kinds of relationships. Like he talked about money. What is money and what's it for? And what's your relationship to it? How, what are you using that for? How does that go? Is it a greed relationship? Is it a poverty relationship? Is it a, how are you relating to that thing? Time, work, and then how do you relate to your friends, your family, your bosses, your enemies, your parents, your spouse? How are these things being brought back into the right purpose in the right form? So Jesus is teaching, he, he's saying, I know the tove form of that relationship. I know the tove purpose of that relationship. And this, may, this is maybe was where a rub comes for you and I, right? Because you might, like me, have thought that some of these relationships, I enjoy making my own purpose and forms for them. Maybe you do too. I don't want to consult some other person's ideas of how I use that thing or how I use that relationship or how that thing serves my purposes. I like making some of those up. They help me. I don't like listening. And here's what happens is that chaos and dark waters start to rise as we all start pursuing what our own forms and purposes might be. Because here's the thing about your forms and purposes is they might bump against, they might bump against mine. Well, now what do we have? Who wins? Well, power wins or, I don't know, now you've got to play a different game. Now you've got to play a game of war and power and I don't know what. It's, and, and you wind up with a chaotic, actually you wind up with hell. How Israel, is in Israel's darkest moments, we talked about this in our last series, but Israel's darkest moments are described as everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. That's what chaos is. And you, get a, and you get dark waters rising. And in the Noah story, you get a literal flood. You get a, a, like people were so far gone in making up their own forms and purposes that a flood actually came. <laughs> and the dark waters actually rose. So here's what the miracle is in this story. And Jesus, here's what Jesus is announcing. The creator of intended purpose and form is here. 
the creator of intended purpose and form, the real true purpose and form for you and I is here and accessible and knowable. And look at there, he's just walking. He's walking on the water. Just like the spirit was hovering over the water in Genesis 1. That's the guy. That's the guy who makes everything. That's the guy who knows what it's all for and what it was all made. So I'm just curious, is that good news to you? Is it good news to you that someone's coming along going, I made all this, and I made you, and I know what all of you are for, and I know how all of you work together, and I know what form you've, you individually make as you play a role in the church or in your work or in your family. I, my forms and purposes are good. They're tov. Um, so is it good news to you that someone knows? I think uh, the best example I can think of this is that uh, my dad has a reputation for having infinitely complex technical problems. Uh, technical problems that no one else has ever had. And he's the guy who gets to the, you know, as he ca calls the call center, it he, he, will, he will eventually have to talk to the president of the company to solve his problem. It's like, uh, he's had, his latest problem has been with Zoom, and I couldn't help him. Usually I can help, but this time I couldn't help. And he did this great thing, and he added me to the ticket that he started with the Zoom people. You know how when you get a problem, it starts a ticket, and then there's this like email chain that goes back and forth as you solve your problems? So three months ago, I got added to that uh, chain, and what, two days ago it got fixed? A week ago it got fixed? And I got to watch, <laughs> I got to watch my dad make it higher and higher up into the, into the Zoom hierarchy until I don't know who you talked to, but it was the director of something. And... Um, and that guy finally fixed your problem. And it was this little click. And the director says to dad, I'm sorry that it took, you had to get all the way to me to fix this problem. I think it's a challenge for you to see how high up you can get in the hierarchy before your problem's fixed. But um, uh, I think about that. You know, when you call a call center and you know there's gonna be 17 robots before you actually talk to a real person, but then you do, and they know, they know what the problem is. And, they, and then you do a screen share and they walk you into the, the bowels of your computer and it clicks one little thing and everything's fixed. And you're like, ah, somebody knows. Somebody knows. And this is what I think of when I see Jesus walking on the water. I know it's a deep poetic image. I get that. We have to go all the way back to Genesis 1. But you see Jesus walking on the water and it's like, somebody knows. Somebody knows what to do. Somebody made all this. That guy, apparently, What's so great about what he's doing is, is like his designs are eternal and filled with blessing for eternity. It's a great deal. So my question for us today is how do we become recreated? So that's great, right? He's there. He knows. He's the guy. But it's not exactly a call center. So how do we actually start walking in that? How do we rightly relate to this person? How do we become recreated? And there's really, scripture only really gives us one way. And Peter models it well for us here in this story. But scripture says that how we become recreated in relation to Christ is through faith. That's really what's going on. It's through faith in him. And so Peter does this lovely thing in the story, which we're going to just go through now quickly. And he models a little journey of faith for us to rightly relate to the author and creator of all the purpose in the world. So here's what Peter, here's what Peter does. There's a couple things that he does. The first is he's, uh, faith, his faith is anchored in Christ's identity. 
So being recreated starts with whose image you're looking to become, right? Like who, who are we looking to become? This is why it's so great to have Jesus as this example is because we go, oh, I think, I think there's something about him that's gonna have to do with my faith. So faith is like a related word. You know, we ask questions like, where is your faith? Or in whom is your faith? It's something that's outside of you. Where are you putting that? What are you, what are you hanging your hat on? What are you resting? What are you leaning on? What is the, the cane that you're like, oh, I hope this thing holds <laughs> as I lean on this because I've got a bad knee. I hope this thing doesn't crumble. What are you putting your faith in? And you have a, a relationship to this cane, not a great example, but you have, you have a relationship to it and you depend on it and it's, it's, it's leaned on. And uh, you, we all put our faith in something, something outside of ourselves. And what we worship is what we become. And uh, Peter here in this story is putting his faith in the right place. And he's saying, okay, since, since you're the author of it all, I guess I'm gonna have to put my faith totally in you. Since you're proving to me here with this little miracle, I guess you deserve to have every ounce of my faith and to be leaned on entirely. It must be you. You must be the person, the thing that this all needs, that my faith needs to come from. And what's funny is I was trying to read commentaries to figure out why Peter suggests to get out of the boat. Have you guys noticed this? Jesus didn't invite him out of the boat. He just thought of that. He, he saw Jesus on the water and thought, I want to do that. What if I, what if I, what if I do that? He totally made it up. He totally made it up. I, I think Peter's catching on to something. I think Peter's catching on to something. I think he's catching on to the fact that Jesus keeps talking about how they're all supposed to be like him and how they're supposed to be like Christ. And the, Peter's probably catching on to the idea that they're supposed to, Peter's, the disciples are supposed to model their lives after him and become more and more like him. So Peter's out there catching on to this, being like, I guess we're doing that. I guess we're walking on water now. He's just taking this literally. We're supposed to become like him. Okay, can I come out on the water with you? I love that. I, this is my like mental image of, 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 of this whole scene is that Jesus is tired after, I think it's feeding the 5,000s right before this or some miracle, some big crowd miracle. And he's really tired and he sends the, the disciples off because he's probably annoyed with them and just like needs some space. He prays. And I like to imagine that, you know, the Trinity is taking a stroll along the Sea of Galilee, reminiscing about Genesis 1. You know, remember when we were hovering over the waters? Remember when we created things? You know, this is what I like to picture. Jesus needs some space with his Father and the Spirit together, reminiscing about Genesis 1. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, Peter shouts from the boat, I can do that! <laughs> I can do that too! And I, I feel like, a giant smile creeps across the Godhead, just going, ah, I love that you're getting how you get to just have faith in me and you get to do the things that I am doing. And, I, and I feel, I'm just making lots up, I know, but I feel like she just is like, yeah, sure, come out on the water then. Come out. It just, the, the, I can imagine there being so much joy that Peter's going, oh, I want to be like you. And, and, I want my faith to be anchored in you. If you can do it, I can do it. Um, just a little bit of commentary here. Uh, it says, you know, Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's you, right? If it's you, 
then I'm going to step out on the water. I thought this was an interesting little translation thing that I was reading. It says this, uh, if it is you is a potentially misleading translation. The logic more closely resembles when Jesus passes his miracle working authority onto his disciples. A better capturing of Peter's intent might be, since it is you, please enable me to do the same things you are doing. Isn't that cool? Since it's you, please enable me to do the same things you're doing. I think that's beautiful. So in this image, the spirit's hovering over the waters. Jesus is hovering over the waters. And the human is hovering over the waters? <laughs> now a human is hovering over the water? Here's what I think that, 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 here's what that speaks to me, is God so badly wants to partner with humanity to bring his order and purpose into the world. So desperately, the spirit just so badly wants to inhabit you and I to bring order and peace and to bring things into right relationship and to be ministers of reconciliation. And so Jesus is like, yeah, sure, join me in the metaphor. Join me in the metaphor today of hovering over the water. But it's a stark, it's a stark commentary on Jesus' humility to not be special. He's not like, no, I'm the water walking guy. It's like, no, we we together are, he calls us brothers, you know, like, and be, he wants us to be filled with the Spirit to do greater things than him. All the way back to Genesis 15, uh, 1 15. Listen, remember this. The Lord, this is like the first thing he told us to do. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it, help it fulfill its purpose, and to take care of it, to keep its form. He wanted us always to partner with him in, in creating and bringing things into alignment and being ministers of reconciliation. And so to be recreated, to be recreated in his image, he restores to us this calling. That was all the way back in Genesis. It's so redemptive. So I think when we're anchored in Christ's identity, since it's you, since it's you, when we're anchored in Christ's identity, then I think it reveals ours and it reveals this dramatic calling that we have to be, to, to, to partner with him in working and keeping the earth. It's amazing. Then the second thing is that we obey his commands. Faith obeys his commands. So at the end of the day, Peter gets out of the boat. He just does. He actually steps out of the boat and there's a step that's taken. And so this is why I think that's important because typically obeying in the ways that Jesus has authored, typically obeying in the ways that God intended, look, they look countercultural. Because society is constantly making things in its own image. Society is constantly taking its cues internally or from the latest and greatest thing that they can muster and manage, the thing that makes the most sense to them. We do it all the time too. And so to step out of a boat is a great example of going, that's not a thing. Um, in the same way, we go, oh, I'm going to trust Jesus, and I'm going to anchor myself in him, and I'm going to choose to pursue his forms and purposes, the ones he wrote and ordained since forever ago. And the world looks at that and goes, that's a bad idea. That is stepping out of a boat into water. We don't, we can't do that. We can't walk on water. <laughs> to which we reply, yeah, I know, but through the Spirit... Through the Spirit, we can follow Jesus 
We can follow Jesus in the fullest sense where we get to like, follow the ways in which he's chosen to recreate the world, to, to bring it back into alignment. Only he can do that, so I'm going to follow him and his plan. And if you haven't noticed, participating, participating in Jesus' plan requires obedience in some scary times because typically that plan, if you haven't noticed, if you read the Gospels, it looks like this. Or there's this death and there's this resurrection. Jesus' path, his form, his purpose, his redemptive plan is a resurrection path. It's, it's one of death and resurrection. And so there's a stepping out of the boat. In our, in our case, is like, oh, I'm going to come die to myself. I'm going to die to my forms and purposes. Those, are, those have to go. They have to be gone. I don't want them anymore. They don't serve the ultimate tove that God's creating. So I need to die to those so that I can be resurrected with him. And it doesn't actually make any sense from the world's point of view. It feels like stepping out of a boat. But I didn't write the story. I didn't write the story. I didn't design it. I didn't design the reconciliation, redemption plan for the world. Jesus did. And there he is, hovering over the waters, pregnant with potential to fix it all. I just love that. And then there's one last thing. Faith fixes its gaze. And unfortunately, Peter teaches us this lesson in the opposite way, <laughs> but we can, he doesn't fix his gaze. We learn something from that. But faith keeps its gaze fixed. Here's what's interesting. So that verse, it was, you know, when, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to think he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out, took his hand, you know, and said to him, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And the word doubt is... Uh, this is a really interesting word. Uh, you can put the next slide up. The, uh, the Greek word for doubt is, is, is however you pronounce that. And it's trying to go in two different directions at once or of serving two masters simultaneously. Isn't it interesting? That's the word for doubt that's used there, distaz. I don't know how to pronounce it. But it's this idea that what doubt is in this story is, deep, is serving two masters at one time. Isn't that cool? Jesus is out on the, he's out on the water and, he, and the waves, and looking to his left, Jesus says, why did you start to serve two masters? Ooh, why did you start to write two stories? Why did you start to, to take two different directions at once? Do you just have one? You just have one to keep your gaze fixed on me. I stumble when I serve two masters. I'm constantly writing two stories at once. I want the resurrection path one, usually, especially on Sundays when it's being preached well. And then on Mondays, I want to write my own story. And the waves get really, really attractive to stare at. And what I love about this story is that, is that you know, Jesus sees Peter in his doubt, and he reaches down and he grabs him, and and he, and he catches him in his doubt. And there's this, and Jesus is always so good at this, where he's there for us in our lack, but then speaks truth at the exact same time. You know, it's like, like I'm here for you. But also, you could have just, could have just kept looking at me. <laughs> you could have just kept trusting me. Oh, isn't this so difficult, actually? To build our lives with our gaze firmly fixed on him in all times, following him to where he wants to go. In Peter's case, he gets to follow him out of the water. 
In our case, we follow him to the cross. And then we follow him out of the grave. (laughs) It's amazing. And you can see why faith is the only way in which to be recreated. That's how we, that's how we're a new creation. The New Testament uses that word all the time. You're a new creation now. The old's gone. Where did it go? It died. (laughs) The old died. And so Jesus is so kind to lead us into this faith journey that forces us to not serve two masters and forsake things that just don't belong in his good world and in his good plans and in his good purposes. So here's our final sentence, which took me a long time to write. It's as theologically sound as I can make it. Put it up there. The miracle is that God is recreating the world by giving his spirit to us through faith in Jesus. The miracle is that God is recreating the world by giving his spirit to us through faith in Jesus. And so, uh, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what kind of chaotic waters are bubbling up or how, man- how much you've managed just to do those things. But I feel like we have an opportunity tonight to fix our gaze on him and go, what would following you really look like? And I love Peter's enthusiasm, hey? He's just going, I guess it looks like walking on water now because we just keep doing what you're doing. And you're out there, so I just love the literal way. I'm not sure, I think we should be taking things just as literally as him, of going, okay, so you, you obeyed your father and you humbled yourself to the point of death on a cross for the sake of love that's gonna take some faith for me. But in my experience, my friends, as (laughs) when the Spirit enables me to do so and when I'm humble enough to let Jesus lead me, he recreates me and he recreates the world around me. And the storm subsides. And we're comfortable in the middle of a storm. We just are, that's been my experience. And if you ask around, you will hear testimony after testimony of the people sitting in this room of going, when I trusted him, it was good. When I fixed my gaze on him, things became good. And they stopped feeling like the world and they started feeling like he was in charge and he brought me into alignment. And oh, they're so, they're so the opposite of what your brain is telling you to do. (laughs) That's what the, the water story is so helpful. It's that's not what you do. And so I don't know what that is for you today. What, what is a stepping out of the boat? I know that's such a cliche, but what is the stepping out of the boat moment for you? I, and I feel like two things can happen. One is God sets you free because he says, yes, you trusted me. And, he, and, he, and he, you go to the cross together and it's hard and he sets you free and things fall off. And another thing happens is you get re-equipped with your original call to go, okay, that, that thing that just happened in you, that's the plan for everyone. Go minister to that to people. Go minister to that to people. There's the, the thing that is the best tool in your arsenal for making disciples and showing people Jesus, I promise you, is your testimony of going, I followed him there and he was good and he was there. And here's how I was broken and wanted to do it my way and then didn't because he captured my imagination for half a second and the spirit gave me faith to just like, okay, I'm gonna obey you. And then things changed. It's a miracle. 
This is the faith that we're in. It's not a marginally better value set than everybody else's. No, it's, it's a miracle faith-based thing we're all doing. And so in your conversations with people, as you're making disciples, you're going, Jesus resurrected me. Let me tell you the story. Like he's a, he's a God of resurrection. So I don't know what the chaotic waters are, but I know who the author and creator of real purpose and form is. And I know that he's able to do it. He's done it in me. I know that he's able to do it and he's able to do it through you and the world around you as you have faith in Christ continually. So I, I'm gonna invite the worship team out, but I just wanna lead us in a, in a moment of just listening. You wanna say something? You come up then, you'll do a better job than me. Isn't this outstanding? You don't have to go away. Okay. Uh, like this is, but I can't help myself. This is, a, this is an outstanding sermon. Here, let me, let me tell you something that's very, very helpful. The word for uh, Jesus walking on water, that word walking, I was talking to a friend of mine who is now a Greek scholar. His name is uh, Bruce Fiddler. He's preached at our church a couple times many years ago. Uh, he's now uh, teaches Greek. He says, uh, Greg, the word for walking, it just so lines up with what you talked about. The word for walking is to wander or meander. So um, when he's hovering, fluttering, wandering. So what he's doing is Jesus is wandering through our life like all the time. Isn't that incredible? He's wandering, like with the Trinity, he's wandering around over the water that you're freaking out about. He's wandering around there. Isn't that a cool picture? Like when I think dark foreboding water, I think he's like getting psyched to go out there. No, he's just wandering around on the water. And, uh, and it's fun for him when we discover him wandering around on our turbulent waters. He goes, yeah, I've been, I've been here all the time, just wandering around. And he goes, oh, we get to like join in on what you're doing now? And instead of fear and anxiety and doubt, we get to step out in the water and join in the life that you're creating out of what looks like chaos and turbulence to us. Isn't that fantastic? And so I'm thinking that uh, God wants us to see him wandering around in perhaps the most turbulent part of our lives. He's just wandering around right now in those places, he's out there. Let's stand together. Father, your word is just so profound. And so we thank you that you're not intimidated by our dark waters. You're not standing on the shore uh, waiting for us to come out. You're wandering around in the most difficult places that we can imagine that feels like chaos and storm. And we thank you that in that place, you're inviting us to step out of our fears and into trust. So Father, I ask that you would give us revelation right now as to, uh, you would show us a storm that we think you're absent in. Show us right now a place where we're so afraid that we can't even see you wandering about. 
And I ask that as we worship, you would give us revelation in how you're inviting us into a place of trust that will take what looks like turbulent waters and create life and purpose and meaning out of those places. Show us now, please, Father.